I knew you were coming to the second service. I knew after that snow yesterday, some of you were like, I just can't even. Actually, first service was full too, so. Um, how you guys doing? We can sing a song about fire. There's enough heat in here right now to melt a little bit of snow. Um, so many things I want to say here. Okay, uh, I'm Pastor Corey. If, you, if we haven't met yet, come and meet me. Uh, we would love to meet you. Pastor Aaron right there. Isn't she lovely? Um, yeah, don't clap. Who's clapping? Okay. <laughs> All the girls? Yeah, yeah, I know it's weird, right? Um, we started the church about five years ago. Uh, and next week, I totally missed this in one of the services. I announced the wrong date for stuff, which is not uncommon if you get to know me. Um, so there's a pastor's pizza party next Sunday after the second service. So it'll be about 1215. So what we would like you to do, if you're new here and you, and you haven't gone through next steps, we're just going to do it right there. And we're going to feed you pizza as well. And so be prepared because the venue regulars know that there's magic when you get one step closer in. And so you're going to get invited today by somebody or five somebodies because we really want you where the magic is. And so I was thinking about it this way. You know, when you come to the pizza party, we can explain a little bit about the church. If you have questions, we can ask them. We want to get to know you a little bit too, but we want this to not just be the church. We want it to be your church. And there's a huge difference there because uh, I cheer for Liverpool Football Club, which is not doing well right now. So pray for us. But when I say like my team, I don't really mean that I'm playing on it because then we would be worse than we already are, which is not doing well this year. And, uh, but there's a difference. This is not a game that we're in. This is a war that we're in over the souls of people and over your own soul and your own destiny. And I don't know how many spectators there are in a war. So we want you to like take a step down from the stands and get on the field. When you're not coming to church for you anymore, you're coming for somebody else because you're here to serve uh, the city like we are. And then it's funny how God just seems to work in our lives too. And so, um, yeah, so that's next Sunday after the second service. Oh my goodness. Um, can we do something? Can we just thank the worship team for just leading us this morning? Thank you guys. Somebody poisoned my coffee. <laughs> um, we're in a series called Relationship Goals. And I'm going to be talking about two things this morning, about singleness and about marriage. And you're like, they're not the same thing. I realize that. Um, I'm going to be talking about, because I think the secret to both lives is the same thing. And so just give me a, a minute to warm you up to that. I also want to honor uh, this introvert back here, who's one of my best friends. He's my accountability partner. So you'll want to know all the dirt on me. You can talk to him. He's not going to tell you. But, um, but Sean, you know, to be on the worship team here, what do you see sometimes is us singing and it looks amazing, you know. But Sean, when I'm in my office preparing my sermon the night before sometimes, because we have a bunch of team that come here and get ready to serve, you're always welcome to come to that, 6 o'clock on Saturdays. And we just serve. We just get ready to go and we have all these little team meetings and team huddles and it's amazing and it's really community and free friends. But I watch on my TV in my office, Sean here and other members of the worship team literally mopping the stage before they get here because everything that you see out here has been prepared ahead of time by people who serve uh, the house of the Lord and so I know that he's going to hate me for this but he's introverted so he's never going to say it out loud he's just going to have all these weird conversations in his head about me what can we honor Sean Gibson this morning thank you you're a great friend alright thank you you can go now and recover from that emotionally 
He's going to go in the back hall and like think of all these things he should have said, but it'll come in about a week. Um, I love you, man. Um, this sermon is called My Piece of the, My Piece of the Pie. Now, one thing I love about single people, because I'm going to talk about both today, single people and married people. So I don't know where you're at in your life right now. Maybe you were married. Maybe you are married. Um, maybe you're single. Maybe you're hoping to get married. I, I don't know what your stage of life is. I think marriages need a lot of help right now, particularly. But um, what I love about single people is when they come to sit in a service and they listen to the word of God being preached, you know, they can only apply it to themselves because they're not sitting here with the spouse that they think the sermon was really for. So, I mean, there's that that I love about single people, you know. Uh, as soon as you get married, things get a little complicated, and you start applying sermons to them. Um, but, um, you know, some single people, and, and from the text today, is Paul's talking to the Corinthians, and Paul is single, and he's talking about singleness and marriage. And so we're going to see from the text that some single people have found contentment. Um, some married people even have. If you're sitting with your spouse, it's in an awkward, because you're getting elbows already. Listen, healthy people don't use their elbows on other people. Ladies, I'm just saying. Um, now listen, most single people that I know wish that they weren't, but I know that no married person hasn't wished at some point during their marriage that they could go back to being single. It's okay to say amen to that. Like, I just wish I could go back to just my problems instead of having his problems. It's going to get worse, you guys. Like, I... You got to just laugh your way through the awkwardness. And if you're new to church, everything we do here is a bit awkward. Um, I know, I know some, of you, some of you are looking at people and you're like, how on earth did she find a man? I know that's what you're thinking. Um, I know. We got any single people in the house? Put your hands in the air, single people. Come on. Yeah, I know there's more single people out there than that. Here's what I can say. That's one of the reasons that y'all are single. Because you put, put your hands in the air, I just teed you up. I'd be like, single right here, man. Here I am. Need a good godly wife right here in church. Lots to offer, like long walks on the beach. All right. Um, let's just kick off this, uh, this sermon with this idea. There are no marriage, or I'll say this relational problems, not the way that we're thinking. There are only individual problems. So we talk about this, like, we, we're, if you're married, we have marriage problems. We have relational, I have a, we have a relational problem with a friend. I have a, I have a relation, I have a, I have a problem with my teenager. It's a, it's a relationship problem. It's a relationship problem in my marriage. It's, it's a marriage problem. Stop thinking about it like that. There are no marriage problems or relational problems. There are only individual problems, meaning one person with problems gets into a relationship with another person with problems. And when you get married, you thought the same thing that I did, that one person's problems would subtract the other person's problems and then there'd be no problems. And we thought that because we were stupid. So, but what really happens is one person's problems, one person with problems marries another person with problems. Now we got two sets of problems and somebody to blame. So, so, there are no marriage problems, there are no relational problems, there's only individual problems. Well, that actually puts a ball in our court and we can actually get better as individuals and single people. But I'm, I'm still surprised that some people, some people are married that probably shouldn't be married. And I'm going to pick on Eric here. He plays bass on the team. Do you guys know Eric and Nikki? Are they, are they serving in the service? Anyways. Oh, well, this is not going to work if you're not here because that's half the fun. Oh, you're back. Oh yeah. You learned your lesson from the first sermon. Okay. 
So I was, I was talking with uh, Nikki, I'm like, I need a funny dating story, right? So I need like a story where, where, and the fact that they are married, the fact that that man back there got married is a, is a miraculous, there is a God in heaven. The fact that they have three kids, there is a God in heaven because he, let me explain this to you. So, so I was talking with uh, Nikki, Pastor Aaron and I were talking with Nikki, his wife, and Nikki says um, that uh, Eric was in grade 12 and she was, uh, she's a little bit older than him and was a teacher's assistant at the school. And so after he graduated, she's like, I want to get to know Eric. And so, you know, how like one or two years when you're that age seems like a long gap in there. Right. And now it's like, oh my goodness, how old am I? I don't even know how old I am right now. Don't say it out loud if you know. Um, and so, so Nikki starts texting Eric and saying like, you know, like want to kind of hang out. And Eric is not really getting where Nikki is going with all of this. Right. And so Eric is like, oh, maybe she's a lonely older woman. That's what he's, he said. Like, maybe she's a lonely older woman. Cause that's how, you know, that's how, when you're young, that's how you think. And so they start kind of hanging out a little bit with each other, but Eric is not, Nikki's like, she, he's not getting where I eventually wanted to take this. And so finally, Nick is like, I have to do something because he's not getting it because Eric is not a sharp. <laughs> so, so she invites him over like, Hey, you want to come over and watch a movie? And so Eric's like, yeah, I'll bring a movie over. And he brings over the world's dumbest movie. I'm not going to tell you what it is. He brings over the world's dumbest movie. I mean, like at least take a romant romantic movie that you're never going to watch when you get married. You know, <laughs> come on, y'all better give me some feedback or I'll stop pointing you out. Um, and so he takes over this stupid, funny movie that's unbelievably dumb. He takes it over, and Nikki's like, he's sitting on the far side of the couch to me, and I'm like, he's just not getting it. And so after the movie's over, you know, he gets the movie, and he's like, hey, that was great. You know, I'm going to go up to my car now. And, and Nikki's like, I'm going to have to walk him to his car, which would have been weird for Eric not getting it, because he's like, I know where my car is. And are you protecting me? What are we, what are we doing? And then Nikki sidles up to him and links her arm in his, and that's when the light bulb went off. <laughs> Proud of you, buddy. Now listen, if their marriage makes it and is successful, it will not be because they had a weird chemistry that society tells you is possible to maintain for 50 years. You know that weird adrenaline when you meet somebody new and you're on your best behavior? Right, yeah. So when that's gone, you know, their marriage is, is th that's not what marriage is made up of. It's not made up of, you know, if you're dating somebody, you probably have, you know, your song, right? Whenever Pastor Aaron and I hear like, oh, we have a song, it, I throw up in my mouth a little bit. I'm like, ooh, yeah, we had a song too. Then we had other songs. Like Simon and Garfunkel, like, hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> Why am I married to this person? <laughs> this came to me in the other service, and then I was like, any fans of Billy Corgan out there? In spite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. You ever sang that? Okay. So it goes from like having these like lovey-dovey songs and these like touchy-feely songs to this like, oh my goodness, I'm trapped, you know? And, uh, if their marriage makes it, it'll make it because they have integrity and because they made good choices and because they worked hard and because they worked to what love really is. And they didn't like just wait for the other person to do a whole bunch of things, but that they were both actively working on their marriages. Now, now listen, um, let me keep going here. 
The best gift you can give any relationship is living a great single life. The best gift you can give any relationship is when you take it upon yourself to live the best individual life you can. That is the best thing. In fact, that's the only thing that you can do. Because you can't change the other person. I know you're trying, ladies. I know you're trying. It's quite, quite smart, actually. I mean, and Eric, marrying an older woman, like, attaboy. But Nikki, Nikki is smart because she got him young enough to train. I don't know if it's working or not. <laughs> you know how it is a it is a it is a miracle that you guys are. So Nikki's like I used to be a city girl, and so like you know don't touch my hair and don't get me wet and don't get my hands dirty. Now she she works hard now. She could put a clinic on for some of you ladies out there. She works hard now, and so does Eric, of course. But the the uh, she was she she goes out. You remember when you met if you're married when you met the other side of the family for the first time, right? How weird that was, and so. Her family is out at Pine Lake on a boat, and Eric comes out there, and Eric's meaning, you know, the possible in-laws, right? And she's this, like, fancy city girl, like, don't touch me, don't get my hair, you know. And he walks by in the front of the boat and just pushes her in. And everybody goes, <laughs> And she, she comes out of the water laughing, and her uncle goes, we might have a winner here, everybody. <laughs> Single sickness that we all have is thinking living with people would make you happy when you're not happy now. Like if you drive you crazy and there's only you that living with somebody else, you're not gonna drive them crazy too. You know what I'm saying? Like I hate it when I do this thing every single morning when I wake up and I'm like super, you know, but that's gonna be super fun for somebody else to live with, you know? Like if you can't live with you, why would somebody else? I mean, I know that single people aren't asking these questions here, but all the married people are laughing their heads off because they know it's coming. Then you're gonna come to us and be like, it's over. He didn't write me a poem last night. We're gonna be here for you guys. Or you got married because you had self-esteem problems. Well, it's not called husband esteem. And if you don't sort that with God and find out who you really are, that you're a daughter of God, that you're a son of God, you don't know what he thinks about you and what he thinks that you're capable of and what, how to act like it. You know, getting married and getting into a relationship or getting a new job is not going to help. There's things that you got to do. And then TV is doing this whole thing now where it's like, hey, just find the right person. And then you find somebody, you start dating, and three months later, you know, you have your first little fight about something stupid, and then you're like, well, they're obviously not the right person anymore, right? And so then we, like, try to find the next right person, and the next right person, you find your soulmate, you know, or whatever that means. And I think that God has a plan for you, and I think that God has probably chosen somebody for you, but finding the right person, ready, when you're not the right person, is going to make the right person the wrong person, or make you the wrong person. And so we're spending all this time trying to find the right person when what we should be doing is spending all our time trying to be the right person because you can't change them, right? I know that you like, you, th you hope that when you get married, they're gonna wake up every day emotionally preparing your day for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're gonna go downstairs and it's gonna be bacon and eggs with a happy face every morning. You're like, hey, I got the kids up at 3 a.m. to write poems to you because you're special. You know, like, I know that's what you're thinking is gonna be like single people, but it's not. 
get some counseling before you get in there. Um, I, uh, I talked to, because uh, I'm going to share by the end what Pastor Aaron and I do when we're helping somebody in a marriage. Now, we're not experts, but we've, we're experts on screwing stuff up. So, and we know where we came from, and we know how not to think about a lot of things right now. And, um, and I, I talked to a, a broken, uh, uh, like a wife in a broken relationship that was kind of breaking apart. And it wasn't over yet, but I, talk, I talked to her and I said, I said, uh, so why are you here on earth? Because it's a deep question. Like, why are you here on earth? You know, why are you here? Why are you in this relationship? Why'd you get in here? Why, why, do you, why are you here? And this was her response. She said, well, I guess I'm here to be loved. And I'm like, as soon as, as, soon as she said that, I realized, well, well, that makes two of you in that relationship. Because that's why he thinks he's here. And that's why you think, so you're both here. You can get into a relationship with Jesus where you're like, you, you exist, Jesus, to love me. You have to change. And the best time to do it is when you're single. Because when you get married, it's complicated. And you got somebody there who's just like blamable. Yeah, turn that. I'm, I don't exist to be loved. Being loved is a byproduct. I am here to love. I'm here. Jesus didn't come down here to be loved. If he did, like, welcome to the worst disappointment ever. He came, it says the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. Not to be loved, but to love. And this is how this works. And I don't think we really understand this. So imagine you're trying to land a helicopter on that. Well, until you learn that the secret of life is giving, it says in the word of God, there is more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Because giving builds a bigger helicopter pad. And when the helicopter of love comes down and your, your Grinch heart is two sizes too small, that's why it keeps falling off the... Because he wants all the presents. I'll preach Grinch. I'll do this all day. Until your heart gets three sizes bigger. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's this thing. You know what builds a bigger helicopter landing pad? Is when you learn to give and to serve. And you might be at that job just to give and just to serve and just to love. Because nobody else there is a Christ follower. Nobody else there knows even why they exist. And your boss, you might have a weird relationship with a boss that you don't like. Because God cares about him too. God cares about her too. And you might be there to serve them, just to show them what Jesus looks like. Jesus hangs on a cross and pours out love and service, ready? With no guarantees that you are ever going to say yes to him. Not a single guarantee. In fact, knowing our track record, we weren't. And a lot of us don't. And then we come in and we're like, hey, we love you. We'll give you everything. And then tomorrow we do something really stupid. He doesn't exist to be served. He exists to serve. And you won't find love until you exist to serve and not to be served anymore. And that's when, see, when, when we're not connected and we're not feeling loved, we never look at our acts of service and our acts of love and our decisions to love and to forgive. We never look there for the culprit. We always look at the other person. But what if, what if God is trying to get you love through different areas of your life, but because you won't, see, we want to reap what other people are sowing. But if you want love, you got to sow it. You got to build this. There's another scripture that says happiness belongs to the Lord. Happy are those whose God is the Lord and whose circumstances all worked out and who bought a new car and whose spouse treats them right. 
Nothing in there about anybody but you and Jesus. Happy are those whose God is the Lord. I think we're working on the wrong relationship most of the time. I, I think we treat God like he's here to serve us and he's here to love us. But listen, from his point of view, that's true. From my point of view in my, in my marriage, I'm here to serve her. But what I can't start thinking is that she's here to serve me. That's her problem. That's between her and Jesus. And when it's not working out for us, then we start withholding until the other person does something and it creates this weird blackmail game where if I trusted in Jesus more, let me get it. There's a couple of things I need to touch on before I get into the, into the scripture here. Um, you will never be fulfilled or feel connected or loved until you learn how to serve and how to love. Now, okay, here's something I think you need to know. Why not when you're single, because there's never a better time, why not separate yourself from your dark side there? Because when I get married, now I bring all of my weaknesses and, and sin, really, into it. Now I'm always gonna be a little impatient, and that's not that bad, right? Thank you, Layden. <laughs> what we do is I bring my issues in to my next relationship with whoever. And then sooner or later, subconsciously, what I want you to do is accept not just me, but my issues too. Now, you're always going to have to live with my weaknesses, right? But you know what the other person can never do for you is separate you from your issues. Why don't you do that? Why don't you treat it like this? Like, hey, I'm sorry that I said that thing. You know, rather than like a fake apology, which is like, I didn't intend to hurt you when you obviously did, right? That's a fake apology. It's not really real. And so why don't you say like, I intended to hurt you, but that's not like real me the way that God sees me. That's not the one I, I, I'm working towards. That's fake me and stupid me. And I'm sorry. I can do better than that. Why don't you try that and separate yourself from your issue and stop asking the other person to accept your sin as if that's who you are. Because who you are is who God made you to be. And there's two of you. There's a dark side, and then there's the one that Jesus is working on. Why don't you start aligning yourself and identifying with this person? I can do better than that. That's not real me. I'm sorry. I'm going to sell that out before you even have to bring it up. I'm not asking you to accept that anymore. That's not me. This is me. I'm going to fail. I'm going to need forgiveness. I'm going to need... But I'm going to come back, and I'm going to keep working on this thing, because I still think that God is up to something that he's not finished with yet. Now, if you are married, it's hard because marriage is hard. And it's not just an, an addition of, of issues. It almost is like an exponential thing in there because it's, it's not... Because when you are single, the enemy can isolate you pretty easily when you're single, right? And if he can isolate you, just give him time and he'll get you. And mess your life up and take everything away from you. And then, But when you get married, all of a sudden... Because Paul is going to define marriage for us here, but it's like one and one in Jesus, and there's this union that's a holy union in the sight of God. It's not like the church institution. It is holy in the sight of God, and that reminds the devil of Jesus in the church, and he hates that. When he looks at your marriage, he wants to break you up and kill you and hurt you and deceive you and get you looking outside of your marriage for happiness. And he wants, you know what I'm saying? Like. He so hates that that's going on that it becomes exponentially more difficult and then throw a few kids in there, you know, for people are like, how was it having four kids? I'm like, well, imagine drowning and then somebody tossed you a baby. 
it's great. I'm like, now you take all your problems and you don't even have time to work on your problems. You don't even have sleep anymore. Come on, ladies. And now we have all these issues. Well, we have to start taking responsibility here. So what if when the Bible says one of you shall chase a thousand and two of you shall chase 10,000? What if your relationship with your good Christian friend that you go to church with, what if it's the devil's going to try to hit you hard and, and create an exponential break up possibility there to get you at odds with each other and get you at each other's throat or your marriage or whatever that looks like. What if he's doing that exponentially because one could chase a thousand, but two could chase 10,000. And what if you get it right and you learn how to serve and you learn how to love and, and your marriage gets strong. And now you're not just helping one family. Now you're helping 10 families. That's what he's worried about because anointed in the kingdom of heaven. That's where he pours his oil out. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, that's what the enemy is worried about. That's why he comes at us so hard. First Corinthians, Paul says, now getting down to your really weird question, the Corinthians were a messed up bunch. I think the Corinthian church would make this church look awesome. <laughs> it's the only thing that could, no, I'm just, sorry. That's what we do here. We make fun of people. Um, the Corinthians were a messed up bunch. And he says, now getting down to the questions you asked in your very explicit and awkward letter to me. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? So they wrote him a letter about sex, basically. And so if you have like little kids in here, you should put them in venue kids because we got to talk about some stuff. And also, can you just um, look, I'm not trying to make you awkward, but if you have like 12 year olds and 13 year olds in here, listen, they're already hearing about it everywhere else. Can we do it in the house of God? Because the world and the devil didn't create sex. God did. So if you have to handle a, sex, you know, a question about this when you get home, that's a gift that I will give you because at least you can handle it. At least you can handle it better than their classmates at school who are getting told all sorts of weird crap. Okay, so is it a good thing to have sexual relationships? Certainly. Paul's like, yeah, God made sex. Has that ever occurred to you? God made sex. He made it amazing. He made it an investment. But he says... Only within a certain context. You can't take that and put it over here and think that it's going to work. Now, this whole thing isn't about sex, but, but it's interesting. He just dives right into it. I think we need to talk about it more in the church, honestly. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage, there's five words in here. Ready? But marriage is strong enough to contain them. You can't have those things just running wild out there. It is strong enough to contain them. And provide for a, ready, balanced and fulfilling, only here, sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. I'm going to pull the word order out of there. Strong. I forgot the second one. Enough to contain them, provide balance, fulfillment, and bring order. He's like, oh yeah, no, 100%, God made it, this is its context. Anything outside of that is not going to work. Then he says, and this is where we get just into the marriage relationship a little more. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy himself, his wife, oh come on now ladies. The wife seeking to satisfy her husband. And then this is the statement that you're going to hate me for a little bit, but I didn't write it down. I'm not God. Ready? Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. That's why we're not happy. Right there. 
It's not a place I'm going to handle it. Just give me a sec. It's a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. That's why we're not happy. Right there. Right there. And I talked to Pastor Aaron. I'm like, what are people going to be thinking? Whether she's like, well, somebody's going to be abused. And they're going to be thinking like, but if I don't stand up for my rights, nobody will. Okay. That's not true. It may have been your experience or your parents were divorced or your dad wasn't there and stuff happened or you're an only child and you never had your brother at the playground when somebody was picking on you, come in swinging. Come on, venue church. I remember a kid picking on my brother. He was older than my brother and I found him in the playground picking on my little brother. And I'm like, Jonathan, it is your day to die. <laughs> Nobody picks on him but me. And I'm like, Jonathan, I'm going to give you a chance to walk away. And he didn't because he had a hot temper. And I messed up Jonathan that day. Why? And my brother understood, you're not in this alone. Here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to say. I know that we do it out of survival. I've been there. I want to say, if you're standing up for your rights, nobody else can. Because God's like, that's my job. And if you trust me enough... I would sort it out in the way that pleases me and will work out best for you in the end. And I will put you in a church family that will take care of you and watch over your children. This is why, like, when marriage gets weird, and, and every marriage gets weird, but this is why, like, it's good for a man to be submitted in a house of God so that you don't, like, treat your family like you're the king of the castle. And your brothers in the church can be like, bro, it's got to, you got to stop being a crazy person. You can't say that to your kids. Where they're submitted to their small group leader and they're just like, hey, I want to make sure that my kids are like thriving. And that when I get crazy, because we all do, so that your sisters in the house can be like, sweetheart, you can't talk to him like that. You are making him into what you don't want. You have to. This is what God wants. This is how to do it. So that when God can stand up for you and, and the church family can stand up for you and protect you and bring you into a place where you're... Set in your best, living your best life. Now let's get down to, sometimes he says, I wish everyone were single like me. It's a simpler life in many ways and I wouldn't get these weird letters. <laughs> but celibacy, he says, is not for any, uh, everyone any more than marriage is. Can I say this? Sexual desire and temptation are far different than acting everything out. We live in a world right now where we're like, hey, I feel it. I'm just going to do it. Tell me it's not going to hurt. Well, it's going to hurt. Sexual sins hurt you. They hurt you more than they hurt anybody else. Celibacy, he says, it's not for uh, everyone any more than marriages. God gives the gift of single life to some. If you're single, do you consider it a gift? Uh-oh. Um, all right, married people, if you're coming next year. The gift of the married life to others. It's a gift. Yeah. It's a beautiful, messed up gift. <laughs> I do, though, tell the unmarried and widows that singleness might well be the best thing for them, as it has been for me. But if they can't manage their desires and emotions, they should by all means go ahead and get married. The difficulties of marriage are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. And if you're married, stay married. This is the master's command, not mine. If a wife should leave her husband, she must either remain single or else come back and make things right with him. And a husband has no right to get rid of his wife. In their culture that day, the husband could just like, and then she'd be what? Living on the street. And he was like, nope. You don't have any right to get, that was a holy union in the sight of God. Work at it. And for the rest of you who are in mixed marriages now, some, some of you I'm speaking to are in mixed marriages, not like culturally in black and white or whatever. 
Christian married to non-Christian. He's saying we, do, we have no explicit command from the master, so this is what you must do. Ready? If you're a, a man with a wife who is not a believer but who still wants to live with you, hold on to her. And if you're a woman with a husband who is not a believer but he wants to live with you, hold on to him. The unbelieving husband shares to an extent in the holiness of his wife. Have you ever considered that? Even in a working relationship, that maybe the holiness of you, son of God, is actually infecting them. And maybe if, if you quit your job and go on to the next one with equal problems, I'm just going to say. Maybe they lose a light that they need. And don't do it unless God tells you to. But in here, it's, he's like, hold on to him. The unbelieving, um, and the unbelieving wife is likewise touched by the holiness of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be left out. As it is, they are also included in the spiritual purposes of God. On the other hand, if the unbelieving spouse walks out, you've got to let him or her go. You don't have to hold on desperately. God has called us to make the best of it as peacefully as we can. You never know, wife, the way you handle this might bring your husband not only back to you, but to God. You never know, husband, the way you handle this might bring your wife not only back to you, but to God. Can I say in marriage, this is how, when I'm maturing in a good, healthy place, I want her to love Jesus more than she loves me. And can I say a lot more? Now that gives her rights, but not the rights that were of her standing up for her rights. That means she can be like, hey, so act like a son of God, because that's who you are. That's who I see. And the other way around. If she, if she wants the best for me, I should love Jesus first. Ready? Here's our verse. And don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. And then because everybody's mad, he says, don't think I'm being harder on you than all the others. I give the same counsel in all the churches. Can we say amen to the word of God this morning? Come on up, worship team. I said I was going to give you our, our, our secret of marriage counseling. We don't do a lot of this anymore. We have another couple in the church that's helping us out a lot, and they're great. My secret when I'm talking to you, because I know for the first 10 minutes, I'm probably going to hear about the other person. But listen, the other person may not be there, but you can't change their decisions. That's up to them. That's what takes trust in God, by the way. What I'm trying to get you to do is what I find hard to do in my own marriage, but I know that I need to, is whatever the, the, the whole pie looks like of the conflict or whatever you're dealing with of the brokenness, it's like a pie. And I'm always like, okay, okay, okay. So what's your piece of that pie? And I know you think it's only 2% of the pie and your husband is the antichrist and your wife is, you know, Delilah. The guys are all here like, are we getting pie? Is he joking about this right now? Guys, concentrate, marriage stuff. Eat pie later. So what's your piece of the pie in that whole thing? What is it? Because if we can't talk about that, then there's no point in talking about anything else. It becomes a waste of our time too. What's your piece of the pie? Here, in the sight of God, what would he want you to do right now? How would he want you to respond? Would he want you to love and to serve, to make a decision? to love and to serve, to forgive, to let go, to get help? 
or are you going to spend all of your energy wasting your life trying to change the other person's heart? Here's what I know. The best chance they have for a heart change is when you work on your piece of the pie. Now, here's what else I want to say. The best gift you can give any relationship that you have is when you fall in love with Jesus again. And I don't mean when you go to Jesus and you're like, it's your job to make me fall in love with you. When you take it upon yourself to be like, I will be in the house of the Lord. I will sing my praises. I will. You ready? Decide to serve and to love you, Jesus. And then God, the master baker, takes over your pie and starts working on your heart and on their heart. Come on, Venue Church. Say amen. Thank you.